Um, so yeah, so uh, uh, again, thank you to, um, want to thank uh, Craig and the leadership team here for giving me these two weeks to speak. My name is Albie. Uh, who doesn't, who's never, um, you know, had the great privilege of meeting me? Anybody, anybody here? Yeah, a couple of you losers. Um, <laughs> oh, just Albie, shut up. Um, but um, so, yeah, so m- most of you know, but I, I, was, um, uh, I was here last week. Uh, I was the youth pastor here from 2011 to 2017, uh, not, yeah, not realizing I should have been over in, in Encore. Um, I was 18 years at Tupuki Baptist Church, uh, originally from Canada, and blah, 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 that's me. Uh, I was here last week. Uh, our title today is Traps, Trials, and Tribulation on the Way, and it's the second part of uh, the life of Abraham, which we started. We just talked a little bit about Abraham and how Abraham got uh, from here to there. Uh, And so today is part two. Uh, And yeah, and again, I just really want to thank, you know, the leaders here for uh, inviting me along. Uh, And it's just been wonderful. I've been away for about a year and a half. We finished up here at Bethlehem uh, last uh, September 2017, and we've traveled a little bit, uh, my wife and I. Uh, we spent uh, the winter down in the South Island, and, um, and now we're back, and I'm working on an orchard in Tipuki, and um, we're looking at a few things for the new year. So it's good to be back, and, um, and, you know, I don't know if your visiting speakers do this, but I'm not saying this just because visiting speakers, it's on the list to do. I really appreciate you as a church, uh, and, and just coming in here again, um, we've, you know, we've been all around the show, and we've been at different churches over the last year. Uh, coming back to Bethlehem, uh, first of all, you really make me feel like I'm home. And so thank you for all of you that have, you know, welcomed me back. And there's just a lot of aroha and uh, love there. And, um, and I can just really sense the presence of God here. It's, it's a really great place. So give yourselves a hand or something. Uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful church and it's wonderful to be back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we're looking at uh, the life of Abraham. We talked about um, Abraham and how he went from here to there. And the challenge in the talk last week was uh, to look at some key principles in Abraham's life um, and to, um, to challenge ourselves on how we can go from where we are today. Um, and particularly, you know, really thinking of this next generation, young people, and to think of how they can go from here to where God wants them to be. And you don't want to end up where God doesn't want you to be. And that's kind of the the thrust of the talk uh, last week, and we looked at uh, how Abraham was called, um, how he was commanded to leave something behind, and how he was commanded to go to a place that he'd never been to before, so he was to step out in faith. Uh, And the result of that was that all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you, and and today, Abraham has gone from being an an obscure figure from the Tigris-Euphrates Valley um, 2,000 years before Christ, just one of millions, and he's become a character today that is honored and recognized by over 4.3 billion people. So Judea, uh, uh, the Jewish faith, uh, Christians, of course, and Islam, they all respect and honor the name of Abraham. And how did he do that? Um, how do you go from obscurity to being a significant person in the plans of God? And um, so today we're looking at the part two of that. Um, and there was that verse that we looked at last week. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, 
uh, came descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky and as countless as the sands of the seashore. And, and the, um, the challenge to us today is I believe God has a destiny for this church. God has a destiny for each one of you as individuals, your children, your loved ones, and he's calling you. And so we want to look at, today we're going to look at some of the obstacles that, that hinder us from achieving that destiny. So I'm going to pray, and why don't we just stand up just to, so that you're not sitting for a whole 30 minutes, and, uh, and why don't you pray with me? Father, we thank you that, um, that you're the living God. We want to say, hallowed be your name together. Uh, your kingdom come, Father, not ours. Your will be done, not ours. On this earth, uh, under our feet, in our homes, in our city, on earth as it is in heaven. And Father, give us our daily bread and forgive us our sins, Father, and we want to be prepared to forgive those who sin against us. And Father, we ask you to lead us. Uh, Father, lead us into this destiny and, uh, and deliver us from the evil one, Father, who we're going to be talking about today, who wants to trip us and trap us and bring trouble into our lives and destroy us. He wants to stop this church. He wants to stop these families. So we ask you, God, deliver us from the evil one. In the name of Jesus, amen. 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 Thank you. Um, so, you know, I, um, in this time that, I've, that I've, I've had a bit of a break, uh, I've reflected back over the last uh, 25 years of ministry. Um, and I've, I've also uh, had a little bit more time to spend time just observing what's going on around me. And kind of two things that have crystallized over this last um, year in my life. And one of them is a question. Well, no, one of them is that this world is a beautiful place. And when I came to Christ in my 20s, uh, I became aware of what a beautiful creation this was, what a beautiful God we have. And I've majored um, uh, in ministry and in my life. I've majored on that, what a beautiful place this world is. But the thing, and I've always known this, but the thing that has, has really been impressed upon me uh, over this time is how brutal this world is. And I've become aware just as I've spent more time reading and, and opening my heart, not being so busy, uh, it has really been impressed upon me that the world is a brutal place. It's a beautiful place. And there's a beautiful God in our world. It's a brutal place. And there is a terrible enemy of our souls in this world. And I've been asking myself, you know, have I, um, in my ministry, in, in our ministry, because we always did it with a team, you know, did we really do justice to the young people that came through our ministry? Did we really adequately prepare them for this, this brutal reality that's out there? Were we having too much fun? Um, you know, were, were our, our messages and our ministry, was it more like a, um, you know, like a positive thinking, um, sort of self-help kind of stuff where we just try to be positive and rah, 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 being cheerleaders? Uh, or were we really adequately preparing? And, and, and we're all aware of that kind of ministry. And um, there's just, you know, these memes that you come across when you're on, on the internet. The only way to guarantee failure is to never try. This kind of positive thinking, you know, this self-help kind of a message. The only way to guarantee failure is to never try. Um, you know, and I'm guilty of, 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 I love this kind of stuff because it enthuses me. Ten things that require zero talent. Be on time. You know, work ethic. Effort, doing extra, being prepared, body language, energy, attitude, passion, being coachable. Any loser can win. You know, anyone can do that, right? So, so zero talent and, you know, you can go to the top. You miss, I love this one, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. You miss 100% of the shots 
you don't take. So have a go. You, know, you can do it. You know, that kind of a message. <laughs> you know, and I wonder, as I've been thinking about that, you know, there's other messages out there. And if these are actually more appropriate for the generation in which we live, messages like this, demotivational, expectations, refuse to accept anything but the very best, and you're never going to get to last around here. Expectations, discouragement, discouragement, because there's nothing standing between you and your goal but a total lack of talent and complete failure of will. <laughs> and, and this is my favorite. This is the one I first stumbled across, potential. Not everyone gets to be an astronaut when they grow up. And there was a phrase going around when I first became a Christian, and it was, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. But I wonder if people hear that these days. In the reality of the brutal world, and it comes across like this, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. And I wonder if a lot of our young people and a lot of us are actually experiencing that. Yeah, yeah, where is this great plan? But the Bible doesn't leave us in the dark. The, the Bible doesn't cheat us. God's word doesn't try to sell us a false bill of um, of goods. It says, yet man, right from the beginning, probably the oldest book in the Bible, uh, the book of Job, yet man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. So God is trying to prepare us for the reality of the beautiful, brutal world that's out there. And Jesus said right in this phrase, which is one of the most encouraging phrases uh, in the New Testament, therefore don't worry about tomorrow, for, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus prepared his disciples adequately for the real world that they were facing. When Jesus said, come follow me and I will make you something. When God said to Abraham, I'm calling you, leave and go. There were no guarantees. There were no guarantees in, in those contracts. Sign on the dotted line, come follow me. I'm gonna make you a fisher of men. But where's all the add-ons? Where's all the promises of happiness? Because God promises significance, not happiness. Uh, and in the calling of Abraham, you know, this is just the overview. Um, and, and, you know, as we said last week, if you were here, you know, he, uh, he was chosen um, just one grain of sand out of the millions. And, and they, they lived in the Tigris-Euphrates up at the top of the, the Persian Gulf. Um, he, uh, in answer to God's call, he and his family, or he and he, uh, Lot, his nephew, traveled up near the border of Turkey, and then they went down uh, into the promised land. He sojourned in Egypt for a while, and he came back. And, and when you look at the overview, it looks really simple. God called him, Abraham responded, and now he's known by over 4.6 billion people. But the thing that's kind of stirring in my heart is, 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 was it that simple? Was it that simple for Abraham? And as we uh, go through the word, and, you know, I realized after the morning service that really and Craig's not going to give me this shot, but this really needs to be about four or five messages because we're going to go through all of these stories that if you're not familiar with the stories, it's going to be hard for you to catch up. But uh, I encourage you to, after the service, go home, and if, you, if you're not in the habit of reading your word, open the book of Genesis and, and read those great stories, which are the, kind of the foundation of our faith. And there's just so many great lessons and stories. So we're going to blaze through four um, kind of teaching points out of Abraham's life. And it wasn't simple. And our, our message this morning is that there are troubles and there are traps and there are trials in the Christian life. And, uh, and on my heart is this, um, is this sense of 
you know, am I prepared? Are my own children prepared? The young people that we've ministered to for seven years here in, uh, in BBC, uh, are we preparing ourselves and are we preparing our loved ones for the brutal world that's out there? So we're going to look at these four things and see if we can just glean uh, some truths from them. The first one is that the world is a trap, the trap of the world. Um, and, and going to the story of Abraham, now there was, and we're in Genesis 12 to uh, 10. Now there was a famine in the land and a- Abram went to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. Um, so he had gone from, he'd started his journey, uh, which was about 1,300 miles uh, to, the, to the promised land. So there, finally, he was in the promised land. And, uh, you know, and, and, you know, and I'm thinking of young people who finally arrive to a place where they come to Christ. They come to a place of faith. We're finally there. And that should be the end of the story. Joy, joy, happy, joy, clap, clap. End of the story. You know, you're in the promised land. But it wasn't. It wasn't for Abraham because within a short while, there's a famine. And there's a famine. And it, doesn't this ring bells for you? Is it, doesn't this happen in our lives where everything just finally comes right? And finally, we're in, we're in the right place and we've got the right job and we have the right relationship. We have the right partner. And then all of a sudden comes a famine. And all of a sudden, you're lacking something. And Abraham does this. Abraham decides to go down to Egypt. Now, it's the first time that Egypt is mentioned in the Bible, right in this story. And Egypt is a type in the Old Testament. Egypt is a picture of the world. Um, and, and throughout the Old Testament, Egypt is, um, it's kind of like a warning. When, when the children of Israel want to go to Egypt, it's like they're, they're leaving where they should be and they're going back to the world. It says in Isaiah 31, woe to those who go down to Egypt for help, who trust in chariots and horsemen. And Abraham, there's no indication in Genesis that he asked God's permission. And there's no indication that God directed him to go. So, you know, commentators assume that, that, that this was a mistake. And he goes down to Egypt, but before he gets into Egypt, this happens. And we're following on. When he was about to enter Egypt with Sarah, um, he said to his wife, Sarah, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. And then they will kill me, but they'll let you live. So, that, so, so say that you're my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, uh, and my life will be spared because of you. What a great husband, eh? <laughs> and Abraham, when we look at the motivation, so he's gone to Egypt, and he knows that the Egyptians, representing the world, they're a rough, evil people, and he knows that his, that his life will be taken so that they can get his wife. And, uh, and we look at his motivation in this, um, in this story, and who is he worried about? He's worried about himself. He's worried about preserving his life. His motivation was ultimately selfish. He went out into the world and instead of, instead of protecting his wife, he disavowed, he denied his relationship with his wife to protect himself. And what ended up happening as you read the story is he puts the Egyptians in jeopardy because that's exactly what happens. They spare Abraham and he prospers. So he has a good time. And he prospers, and it says that he, he grew in prosperity. Um, the Egyptian pharaoh actually did, did take Sarah because she was beautiful, and he took her into his palace and prepared to have her as a wife. 
And then God had to step in and judge the Egyptians because they didn't recognize who Sarah really was. And Abraham prospered and Sarah was put to shame and the Egyptians were judged, were about to be judged. The Pharaoh woke up to what was going on and he gives Sarah back to Abraham, tells him, says, what were you thinking? What have you done? And they kicked them out in shame out of Egypt. And how does this apply to you and I? And I just want to ask you, how many times have you been out in the world as a follower of Christ? And if you're not a follower of Christ, just, just hang on and, and I hope you open your heart. Um, that's okay. And we're glad you're here. But if you're a follower of Christ uh, at school or on your, at the workplace or in, in your relationships with your friends after work at the pub, how many times have you been put on the spot and, and you've come under pressure and you know that the culture around you mock Christians and think Christians are losers and have an antipathy uh, and then they hate Jesus. <laughs> How many times have you denied your relationship with him? And um, I re- remember when I first came to, um, to New Zealand and Uh, when I was first in New Zealand, and, and this was back in 1984, and I'm, I come to Makatu, and I'm this, you know, happy, chubby little Canadian guy, and I've married this beautiful girl, uh, more beautiful than Sarai. And, um, and we, I come back, and I'm meeting her friends, and I'm at a party at Makatu. This, and this would be within the first month of me being here. And, uh, and I'm standing in a circle of guys, and I'm just meeting these guys, feeling kind of awkward and, you know, I haven't really got a lot of friends yet and I'm feeling a bit insecure. And somehow the conversation, conversation came around. There was this real cool surfy guy. And uh, how many of you know Ian McCormick? How many of you heard of the, the jellyfish guy? Well, this guy, uh, and I won't say his name, but this guy was the guy that went traveling with Ian McCormick uh, because Ian used to come surf at Makatu uh, from Rotorua before he was a Christian. And he's become this worldwide figure now. This is the guy that went surfing with him. And, uh, and somehow, the, I don't know what I said, I can't remember, but he goes, you're not one of those bleep, bleep, born-again Christians, are you? And I'm surrounded by all these guys. And, uh, and I, I can't remember what I said, which means I probably chickened out, because if I could remember what I said, um, I prob- you know, I'd be bragging about it today. So I've wiped it from my memory. I probably chickened out. Um, but I'll tell you a good story. A couple of years later, same group of guys, and, um, and we started this little home group in Makatu. This is back in 86 or 87. And we're in this little home group. And, um, and we've, we, we invite a speaker to come to the local marae. And, um, and, and we're praying in our little home. But there's about 10 of us there. We're praying. And then I just get inspired. And I go, I'm going to go down to Bob. Let's call him Bob. Bob's this well-known New Zealand surfer. And he lives in Makatu. He's, you know, he's in magazines and books and stuff. So I'm going to go and I'm going to invite Bob to come to listen to the Christian speaker. So, you know, you guys pray for me. And I tootled off down the road in the middle of the night, you know, it was like eight, eight nine o'clock. And I get, get to Bob's house and knock, knock, knock. Hey, Bob, uh, yeah, it's Alvy here. And now I, I get, I'm starting to get to know these guys. I say, hey, Bob, we got this Christian speaker coming to the Marai. Uh, I'd like you to come. He goes, oh, mate, I'd love to. No, I'm really interested. His wife was there. She says, yeah, 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 we'll come. We'll come. Thanks for asking. I go back to the, to the prayer meeting and I'm just, I'm, I'm fired up. Yeah, 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 Bob's going to come. And thanks for praying. Pray again, because now I'm going to go up. There's a party on up the hill, a little, little batch up overlooking uh, Nudix, Nudix Beach. I'm going to go up there. There's about 20 guys. I'm going to invite all of them. So 
jump in my Vauxhall Viva, you know, it miraculously starts. And I, I get up to the top of the hill, you know, it's, it's nighttime, it's summertime. I can hear laughter coming from in, in, inside the house, the lights are on. And I go up to the door and just before I knock, true story, I hear the, I, the laughter pouring out into the night and I hear Bob's voice. And he's in there going, yeah. And, it, and he, he asked me to come to this Christian meeting. And I said, yeah, yeah I'm real keen, bro. <laughs> and they're just, and the whole, the, the crack up laughing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. And, and they're all laughing. And in a split second, it, it, it feels like it took two minutes. In that split second, I just died. You know, I thought, man, I, I don't know anybody. I'm new in this country. I don't really have friends. And I'm getting mocked by these guys, you know. And, uh, and, and, I was, and I wanted to turn, turn around. I hadn't knocked yet. I wanted to turn around and just and leave, you know, and just with my tail between my legs. And, uh, and in that split second, I really felt the Spirit of God say, Albs, if you do this, if you don't stand up for what you believe and just face this mocking, this is it. You're branded. You've, you've got to live here for another 30, 40 years. And, and this, you're setting the stage for how you're going to face this community. And still, it's just a split second and, uh, and, and so back to the laughter, you know, the laughter is just settling down. And he, yeah, yeah, he asked me to come to this meeting. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, and I said, I was going to come. Bro. And at that point, I opened the door. And all of a sudden, 20 stunned faces are looking at me. And they got caught mocking this new guy. And I said, yeah, guys. And, uh, and I'd love the rest of you to come too. Isn't that cool? So um, that was my only win in my life. So I thought I, would, <laughs> thought I would tell that story. But the world is a trap. And Abraham failed. He was trapped by his fear of being disregarded by, uh, by the world. And he didn't stand up for what he believed. And he caused judgment to come. When the world doesn't have an appreciation for who Jesus is, when we don't stand up and properly communicate who Jesus really is, we, we help bring judgment on the world because Abraham brought judgment on Egypt because they didn't understand who Sarah really was because he didn't stand up and vouch for the relationship that he really had with Sarah. He loved her. She was his wife. And when we don't stand up, when we don't learn to own our faith, the world becomes a trap and the world wins. And whenever we do stand up, whenever we do claim to know Christ and, and face whatever that brings, the mocking, the jeering, maybe you get beat up, maybe you have to give your life. Um, man, that's the way to live this life. That's how to go from here to there. So secondly, the trouble of conflict. So this is the second point. This is all just, I'm just grabbing bits and pieces out of Abraham's life. The four kings the four kings, uh, so this is afterwards, Abraham's back in Canaan, and uh, the four kings seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food, and then they went away. And they also carried off Abram's nephew, Lot, and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. So Abraham and Lot, his nephew, they, they had to separate. They're now living in Canaan. And Abraham gave Lot the opportunity to choose where he wanted to live. And, and Lot, and there's a lesson in this as well, there's lessons in every single part of this story. But um, Lot chose the, the, um, the valley. He chose this place that was green. It says it was well watered. And there were some really dynamic cities there. 
And those cities were Sodom and Gomorrah. And Lot chose that place to live. And Abraham ended up living in the hill country. Now, an interesting sidebar to the whole thing, when you're looking at the whole story, is God, last week, he, asked, he, he commanded Abraham to leave his, his, his country, leave his people, and leave his family. So there are some commentators that say Lot should never have been there in the first place. That Abraham dragged something into his his future, he dragged something from his past into his destiny that should never have been there in the first place. And isn't that what you and I do? We come to Christ and we follow Christ, but we drag things that we should have left behind. And, it, and, Abra, and Lot uh, ends up causing all sorts of trouble. When you read the whole story, uh, there's about 15 chapters and, and Lot causes so much trouble for Abraham. And this is one uh, where there's a battle, there's a war between these cities on the plain. And um, in, in the process of the war, they, they, they kidnap, they, they, they grab Lot and they grab all his possessions and all his people, Abraham's nephew, and they take him, they take him away. They carry him off. And now Abraham realizes this, and this is the second point. Uh, it's the trouble of conflict. When we say yes to God, we realize that we end up entering into a war zone. And Abraham comes to the realization, I'm in a war zone. There's a war going on. There's two opposing forces fighting and, and, and I can't be neutral. And his, his nephew has been carried off and he has to decide whether he's gonna run, whether he's gonna do nothing or whether he's gonna fight. And my second point is, that we as a, as a people, and especially I want, you know, I'm considering our young people, we're sending them out into a war zone. That the world is a war zone. You can't be neutral in a war zone. And Abraham had to make a decision and, and he had 318 servants and he organized them. Obviously they were prepared. I think Abraham was aware that he was living in a war zone because it, it, the Bible says that he, he called together his 318 servants and he put them into two groups and they went and they went to war and they fought the people who had carried off his nephew and he defeated them and he brought Lot back and he brought all of his possessions back and he won because he was prepared to fight. Are we preparing our young people? Are we preparing our families to fight? And I know when I first came to Christ, it was all about peace and gentleness and it took a while to realize, man, this life is a war. When we enlist to serve Christ, we immediately adopt an enemy. There is a dangerous, horrible, ugly, brutal enemy who becomes your enemy when you decide to follow Christ. And Abraham made the decision to fight, and he won. The word says, when Jesus is talking about John the Baptist, and this is the kind of spirit that we have to prepare um, to have. What did you go into the desert to see, John the Baptist? A reed swaying in the wind. Nah. Now, John the Baptist was a man of, of force, and he was a man of, of action. And Jesus says this, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and forceful men lay hold of it. And we all, you know, we should be aware of, of this verse. Finally, this is Paul in uh, writing in Ephesians, uh, that amazing verse that talks about our warfare. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. We have to be prepared to fight. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against your devil schemes, the devil schemes. And as we are developing the next generation, are we teaching them to be fighters? I remember um, when I was in Bible college, 
we, um, I, I had an Irish friend, and he always dreamed of going back to Ireland. So I'm about 25 now. I've only been a Christian for a couple of years. And this guy wanted to go back to Ireland and, and evangelize his friends. And eight of us joined this team. Uh, it was my second year of college, and I thought, oh, yeah, this will be fun. And uh, it, it'll, be, it'll be a whole lot better than just reading books. And so we went, we went over to Ireland, eight of us. And, and as I look back, there was, it, was not, it was 1981. And there was a hunger striker uh, named Bobby Sands who was at the point of death. And they were, they were, they were um, um, you know, they, they were at war with the British government for, for occupying Northern Ireland. Um, there were bombs going off. And, uh, and the, the Belfast was a tinderbox. It was ready to blow. At night, we could hear bombs going off in the city. Uh, the British army was there in force. There were trucks and guys with machine guns. There were tanks. Uh, there were pillboxes outside the city center, 50 caliber machine guns. And we'd gone into this war zone. Um, I, you know, I want to, if my mom was alive, I said, mom, what were you thinking? <laughs> why did you let me go? Um, and why did the school, the uh, Tyndale Bible College, why did they sanction this trip? We weren't prepared. But I can remember that in the, in the, the two or three weeks before we actually landed in Belfast, uh, we had all this orientation and we had all this preparation of how we were to manage ourselves in the war zone. And one night, um, we were driving to, to this little village outside of Belfast, and we had this lovely Irish guy driving, very gentle guy driving the car. And there was, you know, we were, you know, had a few of my mates in the back. And uh, it's nighttime, there's these big hedges on each side. You barely fit two cars, I can still remember it, on these really tight little roads going about 30K down to this village. And he just leans, you know, very casually just leans back and says, oh, yeah, uh, just, to, just to let you know, um, you know, if someone jumps out, out of the hedge and tries to stop us, I, I'm not going to stop, I'll just run him over. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so just be prepared to brace yourselves. <laughs> Because they would probably jump out, stop the car, kidnap us, possibly kill us, and hold us as hostages. We were in a war zone. So we had to conduct ourselves appropriately. Um, we were told that the British Army are out there with, with locked and loaded machine guns, and, and don't ever surprise them. Hey! You know? <laughs> um, and I was running across the road once, and, and this truck went by. You know how you do, you know, you're sort of dancing through the traffic. And, uh, and this truck goes by, and I, I just I rush into the gap, and there's another, another car coming, and there's, there's other cars in the other lane. And out of the corner of my eye, I realized that that truck had eight uh, British paratroopers in the back with machine guns pointed to the back of the truck. And here I was, hey, guys, <laughs> running out and locked and loaded. And, 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 and I just looked out of the corner of my eye, and I thought, oh, shoot, I think I've made a mistake. <laughs> and I kept running, and I could still remember it today. I could, my body was preparing for bullets just to go boom, 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 boom. And it was just a horrifying moment. I got to the other side. I'm still here, so they missed. And, uh, but it was a war zone. You know, finally be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. Are we preparing this next generation? Are we prepared for being in a war zone. Uh, another quick one is the test of waiting. Uh, this is another, uh, later on, we're now uh, further on in, in Genesis, Genesis 15. Um, so, you, you know, the, the world is a trap. We're living in a war zone uh, if we're following Christ. Um, the test of waiting. After this, the word of God came to Abram in a vision. And he says, don't be afraid, Abraham, I'm your shield and your great reward. But Abram said, sovereign Lord, 
well, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who inherits my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. I don't have a kid yet. I have to give my, my whole inheritance has to go to my servant. Uh, you've given me no children, so a servant in, in my household uh, will inherit everything. And then the word of the Lord says, comes to him and says, this man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be heir. And he took him outside and he looked at the heavens and he says, count the stars if you can indeed count them. So, so shall your offspring be. So there's the promise again. But Sarah and Abraham couldn't wait. And in this part of the story, Sarah and Abraham's wife had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So pause for a moment. And once again, if, if, if Abraham had not gone to, to Egypt way back all those years ago, they wouldn't have had Hagar in their household, which would bring him into this new conflict, into this new trouble. But anyways, she's there and, and Sarah says, I can't give you any children, so I'm going to give you Hagar to be your wife. Um, so uh, so she, said to, she said to Abraham, God has kept me from having children, so go sleep with my maidservant because um, I can build a family through her. And and Abraham does. Uh, and in those days, you know, it's not the abomination that it is today because um, God didn't, God allowed for um, the patriarchs if they had more than one wife. Uh, it was just God was working with the world uh, at that stage. And, um, and he does. And he gives birth to Ishmael. So instead of waiting, waiting on God, waiting for his perfect timing, waiting for his perfect plan. They became impatient. A great teacher um, in my early days of raising children named uh, James Dobson said this, that I've never forgotten it. The greatest lesson that we can teach our young people, the greatest lesson we can teach our young people is, <laughs> it's gone out of my head, <laughs> is to delay their gratification. To delay their gratification. And we live in this instant society where especially our young people, because it's getting faster and faster, and they want everything yesterday. They want a girlfriend yesterday. They want success yesterday. They want fame yesterday. And, go, and a tremendous lesson to be able to wait. Abraham didn't wait, gave birth to Ishmael, and Ishmael becomes the father of the Arab states, of the Arabs, which has just led to conflict throughout the entire human history because they weren't able to wait. And God asks you to wait, wait for his timing, wait for his plan, wait for his right person, wait for his career for you. Um, I remember um, when I was working at Tupiki Baptist Church as a youth pastor, I was a volunteer youth pastor under Campbell Hill, um, who many of you know, he was the pastor. And, and, uh, and, uh, and I was a volunteer, and then he left to go to Bible college. Uh, and, and, and then I took over. And I was working full-time. We had two children at the time. And, and I went from, you know, as the ministry sort of grew, we went from three or four hours a week to 10 hours a week to 20 hours a week as a volunteer, just trying to lead this youth group. And my wife, you know, we had two kids, and she said, Briar said, Albie, this can't go on. You've got to go down um, to the church. And Brian Winslade, who many of you know was my pastor at the time, you've got to ask them to pay you so you can, you know, have two jobs. And... Um, I had made a deal with God when I first became a Christian. God, I want to be a pastor. I will never ask for money. I made this, this kind of vow, a young person's vow. I'm never going to ask for money. Uh, if you ever want to support me as a pastor, it's going to come from you. And, uh, and I had to just swallow that vow. I went down, uh, and I'd waited, and I'd never asked. And finally, my wife forced me to. you got to do what your wife says. So I go down, and I, I knock on the door, and, and Brian's still in his office. I go, hey, Brian, can I have a word with you? 
And uh, he says, oh, yeah, come on in, LB. Uh, uh, hey, but, but before you start, I, I, uh, I had a meeting with the elders last night, and we'd like to invite you to be our youth pastor two days a week. Yeah, so God allowed me to keep my vow. And you know what? You know, over the years, I've, I, I meet so many young guys, and they say, hey, man, how did you handle, how did you stick at this for over 20 years? Because m- most, most youth pastors, the average longevity is 18 to, um, you know, 18 months to two years. And they say, how did you do it? And you know what? That instance, so many times, that became an anchor in my life. That felt like a miracle to me. That before I broke my vow, Brian, at that very moment, offered me that job. That, that, to me, that felt like a miracle. And I, I felt the absolute assurance that God was calling me to do what I did. Because I waited. If you wait for the right wife, if you wait for the right job, you will be assured that it's God who gave you that person, God who gave you that job. Finally, the challenge of waiting. Now, we'll just read this verse. It's just such a beautiful verse. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. You say, we will flee on horses. Therefore, you will flee. You will flee if you can't wait. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. And finally, finally Abraham faces the ultimate trial of faith. And um, in Isaac, he finally has a son, Isaac. This is now about 45 years in, in, in his adventure. And he gives birth to Isaac. And that's a really beautiful story where, where Sarah finally is allowed, God allows her to have a child and uh, name him Isaac, which means laughter because Sarah didn't believe that uh, she was going to have a kid, so she laughed. God said, why did you laugh? And Sarah says, I didn't laugh, and I love this. God says, yes, you did laugh. One of my favorite verses, yes, you did laugh. You just can't con God. And so Isaac is born, and now 15 years on, 15 years on, um, and this story just rips me because I have a son named Isaac living in Canada. And God says, I want you to give him up. I want you to sacrifice him. And, and, and th- that verse, then God said, take your son, your, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will tell you about. And early the next morning, and this is the, the verse I love, on the next morning, Abraham got up and he saddled his donkey. He's an old man now. He's, he's won some. He's failed some. He's, he's growing in wisdom, and he just does what God told him to do. And he's going to take one step at a time. And it's absolutely inexplicable because in Isaac resides all the promise and all the inheritance. Isaac represents all of God's promises in this man's life. And God's saying, I want you to sacrifice him. I want you to give him up. Inexplicable. Has God ever asked you to do something that didn't make sense? And Abraham, just one step at a time. And most of us know the story, but if you don't, Genesis 22, read it. He takes him to this place. And the son says, Isaac says, well, dad, where's the lamb? And, and Abraham says, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it says, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. And that's beautiful line, the Lord will provide. It's one of the names of God, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. And Abraham was willing to give up everything. Abraham faced the trial of faith, as I told that story last week, um, you know, of would I be willing to give up my daughter, Bresha, when she was in the ambulance. And he was willing to give up Isaac. 
He was willing to be obedient to God, facing this incredible trial. And back to my point, folks, the world is brutal. The world is brutal and God sometimes asks us to do things that are brutal in following him. We have to be prepared for it. And the cool thing is, the cool thing is that this place where the Lord says, I'll take you to a place I'm gonna show you. Commentators and scholars believe that this would be, it's around Jerusalem. They believe it's the exact place where 2,000 years later, Jesus would lay down his life for you and for myself and for the, the sins of the world. It's the same place because God was aware that the world was brutal and he had a brutal enemy. So he gave his own son and he didn't require Isaac to do it. He tested him. And then he said, stop. And he provided, a, provided an animal to take the place of his son, Isaac. But Abraham was willing to give everything to God. And the question that we need to ask ourselves is, are we willing? Are we willing to go out into this world and recognize it's a trap and not fall into the traps? Are we willing to realize that we're at war and to prepare ourselves for war, to prepare our young people for war? Are we willing to wait for God's best? Or are we gonna make up our own minds and just decide what's best for us and bring confusion into our lives? Are we willing to face the ultimate trial of faith? Are we willing to face the ultimate trial of faith, giving up everything? And that's the challenge that we get from the life of Abraham. Um, God's not, not calling us to happiness. He's calling us to significance. Um, I, I wanted to, to talk a little bit about um, um, our brother. Um, um, he, uh, he is no... He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim Elliott, who wanted to go to the most savage people on the planet, he went down to Ecuador uh, back in 1956, and he and four others gave their lives trying to bring the Aqua Indians in Ecuador. Amazing story, a book written by uh, uh, through Gates of Splendor. If you haven't read it, if you're not aware of it, there's a movie, Beyond Gates of Splendor, a young man who was willing to give everything. He died at the age of 28, and before he died, he wrote this, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So I'll invite the musicians to come out in closing. Um, and I just want to go back to this potential. Um, you know, not everyone gets to be an astronaut. And, it, and as I was preparing for this, I, I, I was thinking about that. Not everyone gets to be an astronaut. And, um, and it's a cynical, you know, you understand the cynicism in it. Um, but the more I thought about it, I thought, well, you know what? Abraham, in a sense, got to be an astronaut. And isn't it interesting that God took him out? And I love that verse. God takes him out under the stars. And throughout my life, in times of crisis, I go out under the stars. And somehow those stars give me a sense of the promise of God. I don't know about you. How, yeah, just hands up. How many of you sense the presence of God when you look up at the Milky Way and you see those stars. Isn't that interesting? And, and God said, look at the stars, Abraham. And he says, so will your children be. So will your children be. I love you. I'm calling you. You have a destiny. And I'm promising you something. And Abraham looked at the stars. And in a sense, that's Abraham became an astronaut. He's, his name is recognized by over 4 billion people. And he followed through. He followed God's call. He left and he went. We talked about last week. And he faced the reality of this brutal world. And isn't it cool that he failed? 
You know, two of the stories we've told this morning, Abraham failed miserably. And two of the stories, he won. He made the right choice. God never gave up on him. And the challenge to us today is, are we willing to face the reality? Are we willing to realize the world is brutal and to lift up our heads and to go out with courage to prepare ourselves and face that world and prepare the next generation to face that world, win or lose? And are we willing to pay the price? Because there's a price to be paid. Abraham paid it. And God is calling you this morning to be an astronaut. And we have the potential. We really, this church has the potential to be a, a, a church of astronauts, a church of world changers, a church of people who go out and, and, and discover new worlds and do great things. But it comes at a cost. And God would be saying to you today, hey, it's not easy. I'm not promising you happiness, but I'm promising, I'm promising you significance. Are you willing to pay that cost? Are you willing to pay the price? Amen.